First Peter chapter one. This again is is just a really odd thing to be sitting here and and bringing God's word in an empty room, but it, it's an act of faith that that we uh, are hearing it, that we are being encouraged by it. Um, the the message is entitled "The Resurrection of Jesus and the Birth of Hope." It's very difficult to know what to preach in these days. Um, a lot of wrestling this week, but on Friday night I was down here at the church on my own. Uh, and we had been praying via Zoom for an hour, and after that hour was over, I stayed for a while, and I just prayed myself, and I thought, what is it, Lord, that I share on Sunday morning? What, what, what do your people need to hear right now? What does anyone else who's joining us need to hear right now? And this passage in First Peter came to mind, so, so that's what we're running with this morning. So I'm going to read from chapter 1. And I'm going to read from verses 1 to 9, although there's just a couple of verses in the middle that we'll focus in on. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. From Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In verse 3, Peter writes about a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I love hope. I absolutely love it. Um, My favorite films are films that are about hope. Um, I'm obsessed with the, the films of a guy called Christopher Nolan and... Many of them have hope running as an undercurrent through it. I recently watched Interstellar again, and and it's a huge epic in space with travel through wormholes and black holes and all sorts of crazy science going on. It's complex. It's demanding to watch. 
But the film is ultimately a film about hope because it's about a man who is trying to get back home to see his daughter again, and hope runs the whole way through it. Another, another one of his movies is Inception, which again is a mind-bending film that is complicated on lots of different levels, with time moving at different speeds on each level. But underneath all of that and all of the action and all of the, the, the splendor and the epicness of it all, there is again the story of a man whose only goal and his only hope is that he will see his children again. And that drives him in everything he does. In one of the more recent movies, Dunkirk, one of the, the trailer for the Dunkirk had a line in the middle of it that said, hope is a weapon. And you've got a film again that is packed with action from lots of different angles. And ultimately, you've got a young man, a soldier, who is hoping to get home. He's stranded on the beach of Dunkirk and trying to get back to England. And the film is ultimately all about hope. Another film that Chris Nolan had a handle in was a Man of Steel, a Superman movie. And there's a great scene in that film <clears throat> where Lois Lane sits down and asks him what the S stands for. He's got this S on his, on his outfit. And, of course, we all think the S got to stand for Superman, doesn't it? And he says to her, it's not an S. He says, where I come from, it's a symbol for hope. I love hope. The Shawshank Redemption is another movie that is all about hope, about a man that is stuck in a hellish prison and is driven and kept alive that one day he will be free. He is filled with hope. The tagline for the movie is that fear can hold you prisoner, but hope can set you free. I love hope. My favorite music is also about hope. Um, when I was six years old in my mum's Volkswagen Polo on the way to primary school one morning, Radio 1 was on in the car. And that's, uh, that's something you could safely do back in those days, put Radio 1 on in the car when kids were in it. But Radio 1 was playing in the car, and on the way to school that morning, I heard a song <coughs> by a guy called Bruce Springsteen. And 30-odd years later, um, I'm still listening And I realized some years ago that the thing that really drew me into his songs, the thing that attracted me, I like the guy's voice, I like the way he plays the guitar, I like the big band, but ultimately the thing that keeps me listening is that his songs are about hope. If there's one word to describe his music, it's hope. I love hope. I find it just such an attractive thing. I hope to see you soon. Um... I'm really struggling with not being able to be together, not being able to actually see one another. We realize in these days how important our fellowship is, how important that jug of coffee is on a Sunday morning as we gather around it. I hope to see you soon. I hope that the weather stays like this because it's great for the kids to be able to get outside. I hope that maybe it even warms up a bit. I hope that the Premier League can be properly finished and that Jordan Henderson gets to lift that trophy in front of a packed Anfield. I really hope that. I hope that Chris Nolan's new film this summer, that's out in July, does not get delayed by this thing. I hope that my school kids are okay. I miss them, genuinely miss them. Miss the banter and the crack and the fun and the life that you get from working with teenagers. I hope they're okay. I hope that this virus passes more quickly than expected. You see, we normally use the word hope to speak of a future that we are uncertain about. 
but there's a particular outcome that we want to have. That's how we normally use the word hope. I hope this will happen. I hope that will happen. Christian hope is different. It's a different beast altogether. We live in an age, as I was reading and and preparing, there were two verses in Proverbs that came to mind. There's Proverbs 18, 14 and Proverbs 13, 12. Let me just read them to you. Proverbs 18, 14 says, A healthy spirit conquers adversity. But what can you do when the spirit is crushed? What can you do when the spirit is crushed? When people have no hope. That's what a crushed spirit means. And Proverbs thirteen twelve says that, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, or in the message, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick. Whenever we place our hope in things that do not deliver, it makes the heart sick. And I've had these two phrases in my mind, crushed spirits and sick hearts. Crushed spirits and sick hearts. I wonder, do either of those phrases resonate with anyone? Do you Do you feel um, that those describe you or ever have described you, that you have a crushed spirit? That in adversity you cannot find hope? Or that you have a sick heart? Now, that does not mean that you're twisted in the way you think, or it does not mean the word sick in the way that people have used it in the last few years to mean something that's actually really good. But that your heart is sick because hope, has been misplaced and you have been repeatedly disappointed by the things that you've placed your hope in. I believe we're living in a generation that is marked by crushed spirits and sick hearts. This is the first time apparently in history that there is a generation living who do not expect the future to get better. And generations before us looked to the future and they looked to it with optimism, expecting that everything would improve. We have lived for a few centuries with this idea of progress. You'll read in books and historians talking about the myth of progress, that life is going to get better and better, that we're going to have improved technology and we're going to have improved resources and improved relationships and improved government and just all sorts of things. Humanity is going to get better. But the last hundred years has sort of put an end to that thinking, that notion of progress, that notion of everything getting better. We've had a century of war, of economic ups and downs, of disease, And now we are left, I believe, with a generation who are largely hopeless. I don't mean hopeless in that they're no good or that they can't achieve anything. I mean that they are devoid of hope. They do not have a future hope that they look to. The things that they've put their trust and put their hope into have failed them. And therefore they need a different hope. That verse in Proverbs 13, 12 says that false hopes that don't deliver, unrelenting disappointment, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I I tend to hold things out in front of me to look forward to. Uh, Just little carrots on a stick to keep me going through maybe a difficult time. And I think to myself, when when I get there, I'll feel better. Uh, I'll I'll have that, whatever. Uh, and, I, and I look to these little sort of future milestones almost to help me get through difficulty. 
I remember a really, really busy time in 2013 where I was, I was just exceptionally busy. I was speaking at, a, at an event that was taking up a lot of my time. And I was thinking to myself, once I get this over, I'm going to really enjoy myself. I'm going to have a week where I'm off work. It's during the summer. And I'm going to just shut down, relax, do a pile of good things that I enjoy. And I held that out in front of me as a sense of something that I had my hope in. And the week after that event was over, my car broke down. I had to spend about 700 quid on it. And I had to take my dog to the vet and get her sent away for the long sleep. And it was just the most horrible week. Whenever we place our hope in the wrong things and we are disappointed, it makes our hearts sick. We need a different hope. Another thing that can mark a culture that does not have hope is an atmosphere of pessimism and negativity where people almost have the mindset of, I don't want to be disappointed and I don't want to be hurt and therefore I'm going into every situation with the worst case scenario in my mind. You get it on a very simple level with kids in school who walk into the classroom and as the door opens, they say, sir, I'm going to fail this test. Immediately, you know, they just this is the worst case scenario and I'm going to hold that out in front of me so that no matter what happens, I'm not going to be disappointed. We do that sometimes where we have this pessimistic default. It's almost like a defense mechanism. I don't want to get hurt and I don't want to get disappointed. So I'm going to expect very little. And it's a dangerous way to think because we start then in life to default continually to a pessimistic negative mindset and it can poison our thinking now to go to the opposite extreme and have a giddy optimistic uh, careless reckless mindset is not good either there is a middle ground of reality and in that middle ground we need to have hope we need to have a different hope from what the world offers tim keller says in this book which is probably back to front on your screen Um, Tim Keller says that there's nothing more practical than sufferers than to have hope. Or there's nothing more practical for sufferers than to have hope. The erosion or loss of hope is what makes suffering unbearable. The erosion or loss of hope is what makes suffering unbearable. What he's saying is, and what counselors and pastors and anyone who tries to help people who are in despair, you must give people hope. You've got to. Even if they cannot see a future themselves outside of the despair that they are currently living in, your job is to give them hope. Give them hope. Give them an understanding that there is a different future that lies ahead. There's nothing more practical for sufferers than to have hope. I like being with hopeful people. Um, I find people who are negative and continually pessimistic, I find that a bit wearying sometimes. I find that that can influence a conversation and an atmosphere in a room, discouragement and defeat and negative talk. Whereas hope, hopeful people bring life. Hopeful people bring a reason to endure. Surround yourselves with hope. Surround yourselves with music of hope and stories of hope and people of hope. And ultimately, as we're going to get to, the gospel of hope. 
There's a Christian band called Need to Breathe and they have a, a song that says, In this wasteland where I'm living, there is a crack in the door filled with light. Sometimes that's all you need to get by. Just a glimmer of hope. Surrounded by despair and surrounded by darkness, just a crack of light, a glimmer of hope. Hope can put a cheer in your step. Hope can make you come alive. And our God is the God of hope. So I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and just pull out a few thoughts. Last week we were in Revelation chapter 1. And we were with Peter's mate, a guy called John. John was on the Isle of Patmos. John was praying for a suffering, persecuted group of Christians. And John had a vision of Jesus. And the message, the task then that John had to fulfill was he had to go to the, or he had to get the message to these people that they should look at Jesus and not be afraid because Jesus has risen from the dead. He was dead and he is alive again. That was how John began his letter. Revelation is effectively a letter. And that's how John began writing to those churches. How will Peter begin his letter? Because if you look into the background of 1 Peter, once again, he is writing to a persecuted church. It says in verse 1 that he's writing to, to God's people, God's elect, who are scattered. They have been scattered by persecution. Once again, they are suffering under the hands of oppressive rulers. And what is Peter going to write to them to, 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 to lift them, to encourage them, to help them to keep going through a time of adversity like the time that we are living in? He says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Mercy. At the very heart of the gospel and at the very heart of who God is, there is mercy. So, so if, you're, if you are new to the Christian faith, if you're tuning in this morning or you're watching at some other time and you're, you want just a, a word for God, let me tell you the word is mercy. God does not treat us the way we deserve to be treated. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is forgiving. And whether you're a child or whether you're in middle life or whether you're in old age, God will show mercy to those who come to him and ask for mercy. There is no one whose past is so bleak and so bad that he cannot forgive and that he cannot show mercy. So this, Peter wants to encourage people by reminding them that God is merciful. He wants to, to also say to them that God has given us new birth. In the culture of a people who are facing physical death, Peter draws them back to the concept of new birth. He probably remembers Jesus. In John chapter 3, Jesus had a conversation with a guy one night called Nicodemus. And he spoke to Nicodemus about the idea of being born again or being born from above. And it's a phrase that the biblical writers and that the church uses to describe what it means to follow Jesus. It is a new birth. It is a receiving of a different life, eternal life. The life of God given by the Holy Spirit. That's what becoming a Christian means. It's not cleaning up your act. It's not trying to do things better. Um, it is being transformed by the Holy Spirit 
as a result of receiving the life of God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And he offers that again to all of us. And that changes how we live. New birth changes. If you read on in 1 Peter 2.24, you'll see that new birth changes who you are before God. And in 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23, it changes our lifestyle towards others. Because we've been born again, Peter says, we should have sincere love for one another. So this new birth changes how we live. So God is merciful. Because of his mercy, we have been given new birth. And what is that new birth into? It's into living hope. Living hope. That is a powerful little pair of words. Living hope. This is not just any old hope. This is not just optimism. This is not a mindset that goes in through seasons of adversity and just says, ah, it's all going to be okay. It'll, it'll be all right. This is Christian hope. And Christian hope is living. It is alive because Jesus is alive. We have been given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christian hope is not based on a future outcome that we would like to happen. Now, I want you to get me. Okay, I have future outcomes in mind that I rattled off at the start, things that I would like to see happen in the future. Some of them important and some of them really in the big picture of life, not that important. That's not what Christian hope is. It is not based on a future outcome that we would like to happen. Christian hope is a future certainty that is based on a past event. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He is resurrected and he is alive and that is a past event. And therefore, my future is certain and my hope is not a vague, I would like this to happen. My hope is I know that my future is certain. I know that I will be resurrected. I know that I have life within me from God that physical death will not take away for even a fraction of a second. When this physical body dies, the life of God within me will continue. I believe that. You're listening to someone who believes he will be raised from the dead because he believes that Jesus was raised from the dead. Have a go at trying to explain the church without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just go ahead. Take your time. I'll wait. All right? Have a go at trying to explain that. How is it that the church was born and thrived and still thrives and still grows today across the world? Why is it that people are turning to the church in times of crises? Why are people going online and listening to the word of God who maybe did not in the past pay that much attention to it? How can you explain the church without the resurrection? Because 2,000 years ago, there were 11 pretty uneducated men who followed Jesus. Judas is gone. And they, on a certain day walk away from a tomb outside Jerusalem where their leader has been buried. His body is in there lying on a stone-cold slab, dead. They have watched him being executed. 
They have seen the body go into the grave. They have seen the stone that is rolled across the tomb. And they turn and they walk home. Some of them go back to the life that they had before. Some of them sit down a few days later and say, I'm going fishing. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I've, this is not for me anymore. They've effectively quit. A couple of followers of Jesus are walking along the road from Jerusalem to a little village called Emmaus, and they've quit. They're downcast. And, and the phrase that they use whenever a, another companion joins them on their journey, the phrase that they use is, basically, we hoped that he was the one. They talk to this stranger who comes along beside them and say, we, this Jesus, we hoped that he was the one. We hoped that he was going to deliver Israel. But they've quit. The dream was over. Hope has died with Jesus. And hope is gone. And they're all going back home. And then they realize, these two on the road to Emmaus, when they get back to their home and their stranger joins them for a meal, he does what we did and he breaks bread. And whenever he breaks bread, they realize that it's Jesus and hope is alive again because they have just seen the resurrected Lord. There is no explanation for how 11 men could become the church other than the fact that Jesus did rise from the dead. Do you really think that the 11 of them sat down in a room somewhere and cooked up a hoax and tricked everyone? (laughs) Do you really think that the 11 of them, all of whom were martyred for their faith according to tradition, all 11, including Peter, who we're reading this morning, Peter was crucified upside down according to tradition. In fact, it is recorded that He had to watch his family being executed before he was executed himself. Why would you do that if it was all a hoax? If the resurrection did not happen, what motivation would you have to give your life for what you believe? The only explanation for how those 11 men could start a movement that spread through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, that now incorporates an estimated 2.5 billion people across the world today in one form or another, and many, many more throughout history. You cannot explain that unless Jesus actually rose from the dead. No one would have listened to them. They could not have tricked people. There's a body in a tomb. They could not have hoaxed it. They could not have got away with it. They could not have moved the stone themselves. Jesus rose from the dead. Some years later, there was another brilliant young man called Saul who was a Pharisee who had a really bright future as one of the best rabbis in, in Jerusalem. He became Paul. He gave up his life, he gave up his, all his brilliance, all the, the, the future that he had, the influence that he would have had in that culture. He gave it all up to follow Jesus and to instead start telling people that Jesus was the Messiah. What changed for Paul was that he saw in Acts chapter 9, he saw the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. I don't believe he saw a vision. I believe he saw Jesus, actually saw him. And it changed him completely. That he he left behind his old life. 
Do you know what? If, 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 um, if Paul had never become a Christian, we would still have heard of him. History would still record the brilliance of the man. But he left it all behind and he chose to follow Jesus because he had seen a resurrected Christ. You can't explain the existence of the church unless the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. And because Jesus is alive, Peter says we have a living hope. A living hope that is greater than death. Oscar Wilde once wrote a play called Salome, which I think is about Herod's stepdaughter who danced for Herod. And in the play, somebody comes to Herod and tells him that there's a guy called Jesus running around healing people and raising the dead. And in Oscar Wilde's play, Herod's response is this, let them find him and tell him that I will not allow him to raise the dead, to change water into wine, to heal the lepers and the blind. He may do these things if he wants. I say nothing against these things, but I allow no man to raise the dead. Herod freaks out because once someone has conquered death, the tyrant Herod realizes that his ultimate weapon against people is not an ultimate weapon anymore. Jesus is raised from the dead and Jesus gives people living hope. Tim Keller, again, if I could read just a a short quote from this book. He says, Human beings are hope-shaped creatures. The way you live now is completely controlled by what you believe about your future. The way you live now is completely controlled by what you believe about your future. Do you believe that when you die, you rot? That life in this world is all the happiness you will ever get? Do you believe that someday the sun is going to die and all human civilization is going to be gone and nobody will remember anything anyone has ever done? That's one way to imagine your future. But here's another. Do you believe in the new heavens and the new earth? Do you believe in a judgment day when every evil deed and injustice will be redressed? Do you believe you are headed for a future of endless joy? Those are two utterly different futures. And depending on which one you believe, you are going to handle yourself and your suffering in two utterly different ways. Excuse me. You see, our future... Hope and what we believe about the future affects how we live now. In Ezekiel 37, God's people cry out to him and say, Our hope is gone. And God's response is, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. Again, hope is connected with resurrection and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus. There's a famous hymn by a guy called Edward Mote. It starts off, there's a, there's a modern version of it as well, but the, the original says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Hope only based on what Jesus has done is the only hope that will get people through adversity. A guy called Leslie Newbigin, who was a missiologist so he basically his expertise was in the mission of the church the global mission of the church and he was once asked Leslie are you a 
an optimist or a pessimist? And his response was, I am neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And that was it. Our hope is not about who we are, whether we have a pessimistic mindset about little things or whether we have an optimistic mindset. Our hope is based on the fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Hope in the Bible is not a verb. The stuff that I mentioned at the start, when I say that I hope something will happen, I'm using hope as a verb. It is something that I do. And that sort of hope is very dangerous in the midst of adversity because you can't really do it. When you're surrounded by darkness and despair, the verb hope is not something that we can instinctively do very easily at all. Hope in the Bible is a noun. It is not something that I do. It is something that I have. And there is a difference. It is not something that I do. It is something that I have because of what Jesus did. I tried to put together some sort of definition of of living hope. um, And this is what what I've come up with so far. Living hope is an absolute certainty regarding the future that is anchored in the past event of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, which then affects how we live in the present. Past, present, and future. Living hope is a certainty regarding the future. I will be resurrected. I have eternal life. It is anchored in the past event of Jesus' death and resurrection. And it affects how I live in the present right now. So as we close, how will hope, how will living hope change our lives? I have got seven things here and I'm going to just state them and read a verse. And if you've got a notebook, you could maybe write the verse down or you can maybe come back later and revisit this part of the message. And you might even want to take each one of these thoughts, these concepts about hope and meditate on them each day for the incoming week. Use them along with whatever devotions you have. Read the verses and just ponder hope. Let me remind you that that Peter says that God in his mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here are seven things. They're not in any sort of particular order that I want you to to maybe take and, and think about as we ponder hope this incoming week. In Hebrews 6, if you have a Bible, just just turn to it. Just take the time to actually look these up, see them yourselves. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. The first point I want to make about hope out of the seven is that hopeful people are anchored. It says in Hebrews 6, 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The picture of an anchor. You know, not a wee cute anchor that you maybe have hanging on your wall somewhere at home. I have one in my study and and I love anchors, but I'm talking about a massive anchor on some HMS ship. This is massive. And the writer to the Hebrews says, hope is an anchor for the soul. 
He does not say hope will mean that there are never any storms. He does not say hope makes us immune to adversity or sickness or unemployment or anything else. He says that in those storms, hope is an anchor. So point one for you to take and think about is that the hope that is offered in the Bible, the hope that is offered by a resurrected Jesus is an anchor. First Thessalonians talks about hope. If you're in Hebrews and you turn left, you'll find a couple of letters to the church in Thessalonica. Um, and First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 Paul is writing and he says, We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And in that, if you listen carefully, you can hear Paul's little triad that he likes to work with. Your work prompted by or produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. Faith, hope, and love. We're focusing on hope. And I want to tell you that people who have living hope don't quit. Your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Not hope in yourself, not hope in any other source of help, but hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. The second point I want to give to you, and I would ask you in a couple of days, Chew over that verse, 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, that hopeful people don't quit. People who have living hope will endure. Um, within that same point, just to go back to our passage in 1 Peter, Peter has, talks about hope, and then in verse 6 he says to the people, You greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Again, Peter talks to the people about hope in that context of enduring trials. Living hope helps people to endure. The third thing is also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and it's in verse 13. So 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. I'm watching the clock. I'm nearly done. Paul writes, and he says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep in death or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. People who have a living hope grieve differently. Now, I want you to note that Paul does not say here in, in 4.13, he does not say that, that we don't want you to grieve. He doesn't say that. He says we don't want you to grieve like the rest of people grieve who have no hope. Christians grieve. Christians do not treat death in some sort of willy-nilly fashion. Death is a hideous, hideous thing. But Christians grieve differently. 
The world grieves as people who do not have hope. Christians grieve as people who do have hope. We have a certain future because of a past event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And whenever we face grief, which we all face at some stage, we face it differently because we face it with, as people who have hope. I have sometimes marveled when I have been at a wake or in a hall after a funeral and I'm with a person who has just buried someone very precious to them and I'm amazed by the strength that they have, the, the, the way that they hold themselves, the confidence that they have in God because they have a living hope due to the resurrection of Jesus. It's actually a beautiful thing sometimes to be around someone who is grieving with hope. So that's your third one. I think that's number three. I haven't got the number I should have. Hopeful people grieve differently. Still in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8. I like this one. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8. Since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Again, you've got Paul's three, faith, hope, and love. You know, they just weave in to lots and lots of different places in his writings. And he, he's, he's choosing again to use the illustration of the armor of God, which he also would, would write in Ephesians, and which comes ultimately from, from Isaiah, where God puts on his armor. And Paul tells us to put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. And you might say, well, what, what's going on about the hope of salvation? Are we not already saved because of what Jesus did? Yes, salvation has begun. Jesus has paid for our sins, but there's also an element of salvation that will be completed whenever we are with him. There is a certain future to our salvation, and that gives us hope. And Paul is saying that this hope of salvation he tells us to put it on as a helmet. Now, very simply, what does a helmet protect? It helps protect your noggin. And what's in your noggin? Your brain. And it would be the place that we would locate our mind and how we think. And I want you to know that living hope causes people to think differently and to have a healthy mind. Now, I want you to get that. There's a lot of anxiety about it. There's a lot of despair. There's a lot of uncertainty. That can lead to pessimism, negativity. That can lead to fear. We talked last week about the voices of fear. And Paul says, I've got a helmet called hope. Put it on. Because whenever you receive the living hope that God gives, it protects your mind that you do not then continually ponder and dwell on negativity and pessimism. So take a day this week with, with 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 and think about how living hope guards your mind the way that you think. Colossians chapter 1 is the, is the fifth one that I want to give you, your, your daily dose of hope for this week. Colossians chapter 1. So if you're in Thessalonians, go left again to Colossians. 
small letter, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 1. And again, listen carefully because you're going to hear something else woven into these verses. Let me read verses 3 to 5. This would be your your reading potentially for, for Thursday or Friday this week. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Now, let's just slow down and let God's word hit you. Again, we have faith, hope, and love. Again, we have at the end of verse 5, this idea, or in the middle of verse 5, this idea that there is something stored up for us in heaven. In 1 Peter 1, verse 4, Peter says that the living hope that we've received, he says it's an inheritance that cannot fade away, cannot perish, cannot spoil, and that it is kept for us in heaven. And Paul is using exactly the same language here, and he says that we've got something stored up. We've got an inheritance. We've got a guarantee for the future. The thing that struck me as I thought about this verse was at the start of verse 5, the faith and love that he has already talked about in verse 4, faith in Christ Jesus, your love for all the saints, Saints does not mean St. Patrick and St. Columbus. Saints means every follower of Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus, the love you have for all the saints. And then Paul says at verse start of verse 5, he says that the faith and love spring from hope. Do we have any concept, church, how important hope actually is? Faith springs from hope. Not the other way around. I am not a person of hope. I don't have hope because I'm a man of faith. I'm a man of faith because of the living hope that Jesus has given to me through his resurrection. Faith springs from hope. Hope comes first. And love also springs from from hope. I love the church. I miss the church desperately. I really do. And even speaking to, to Aaron last night and talking about what we missed and what we miss is one another. What we miss is, is the time together. Not necessarily, yes, we miss worship and we miss the word of God in a, in a gathered setting, but we just miss one another. I love the church. But that love, Paul says, it springs from hope. Hope comes first. Hope comes first, church. We've got to receive the living hope that is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ in order to then be people of faith and people of love. Get the order right. Get the order right. I cannot exercise faith and I cannot show love if I have not, first of all, received the living hope of the resurrection. I think that's powerful. And I think it's really strange that as I look over my bookshelf and I think over the history of all the sermons that I've heard, I can't think of many about hope. I can think of stacks of stuff about faith and stacks of stuff about love. 
But we've given hope a, a, a bit of a short shrift in the church historically. So hopeful people are people who are full of faith and love. Those things spring out of hope. That was number five. That was number, number six then. Uh, don't bother turning to it, but Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 says, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. The sixth thing about hope is that hopeful people are strong. I could put that better. Hopeful people are strengthened. There's actually a huge difference. I am not a strong person. I am a strengthened person. I'm weak. But God's strength flows in weakness. Those who wait on the Lord. Now, different versions of Isaiah 40 will will put it slightly differently. Some versions say, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And some versions say, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Because hoping and waiting in the Hebrew language are effectively the same thing. And it comes from the idea of a watchman waiting for the dawn. Walking the walls of the city at night, waiting for the dawn, hoping that the light will come, certain that the light is going to come because it comes every day. So waiting and hoping biblically are a very similar concept. Hopeful people are strengthened people. And the last one in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I do want you to go to this if you have a Bible, and I am, I promise you, nearly done. I'm sorry if I've gone on too long. I get excited. 1 Corinthians 15. Just look at for, at the start of the chapter. If you've, if you have a Bible that's got headings in it, those headings are not actually part of the Scripture, but they're usually helpful. The chapter in my Bible, it starts off with a heading saying, The Resurrection of Christ. And then after, uh, or at the start of verse 12, there's another heading says, The Resurrection of the Dead. And in verse 35, there's another heading says, The Resurrection Body. All right, so no prizes for guessing what this chapter is about. It's about the resurrection. I want you to look at how it ends. This is the seventh thought that I want you to, to hold someday this week. And the thought is this, that hopeful people are so heavenly-minded that they are of huge earthly good. Sometimes Christians are told you're so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. No, I completely disagree with that. We are utterly heavenly minded and therefore we are of huge earthly good. At the end of a chapter all about resurrection, look at what Paul says in the last verse, verse 58. Therefore, Okay, so therefore is referring to the 57 verses that came before. Therefore, in light of the resurrection, both Jesus' resurrection and our future resurrection, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, because of the resurrection, throw yourself into God's work in this world. 
of serving and loving people who are made in his image, whether they follow him or not. Give your life away because of the resurrection. Hopeful people who have received living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus throw themselves into this life fully. We don't retreat into a cave and wait for heaven. Because of the future that is out in front of us that is certain, we live well and we serve God and we serve our communities in all times. Gordon Fee, I close with this quote. He has a huge book called God's Empowering Presence, which is all about the Holy Spirit. And he comments on Romans chapter 15. Last verse I want to give you today is Romans 15, verse 13. I wonder what you think of when when somebody talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, being a Spirit-filled believer. Paul writes in Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. A person who is filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit is a person who is overflowing with hope. Church, does that describe you? Are you overflowing with hope? Gordon Fee says that Paul prays that the empowering spirit will cause people to overflow with hope. Language that we normally would expect regarding such things as faith or love. But Paul prays that they would live in the spirit in such a way that they overflow with confidence about their certain future. And such future-oriented people live in the present different from the rest. We are not too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good but we are so confident in the future that we can pour ourselves into the present with complete abandon, filled with joy and peace, because nothing in the present can ultimately overwhelm us. Such people make the Christian faith a truly attractive life. Overflowing with hope. I'm thankful for the resurrection of King Jesus. I am filled and overflowing with hope. And the world right now needs a hope that is more than optimism, that is more than trusting in the wonders of science that we're so thankful for. We need to give the world living hope, a certain future guaranteed by the past death and resurrection of King Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let me pray for you and we'll close. Father, I thank you so much for hope. I ask God that you'll take these words and that you will drive them into our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit and that they will live and bear fruit in our hearts. That we will ponder anew the importance of hope. That our hope will be built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. that our future certainty will cause us to live in the present in a way that honors you, Lord. Make us people of hope. Help us to go into this world of despair and uncertainty and help us to bring certainty and life.
I ask that you bless your people today, Father. Miss them so much, Lord. Would you be with them? Would you give them peace and rest? And may your words that we have talked about this morning really encourage them. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Have a really class day. Remember, we're praying three nights this week on Zoom. Jump into that if you can at some stage. I love you. I miss you. Bless you.